Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a while since we last saw you, Boston, and we've missed you. Tonight, we bring you a wealth of stories from the last few weeks from across the city. Boston Rungan Independence Day with music and performance all weekend long at the Boston Harbor Fest 4th of July celebration in downtown. It was a star-spangled weekend in downtown Crossing at Boston Harbor Fest 2023. Thousands of visitors and Bostonians flooded the streets with American flags in hand to enjoy the music and performances that brought out the spirit of Independence Day in a city that was the backdrop for some of the revolutionary moments that we celebrate. Here in Boston, we are so fortunate to have so many sites that date back to the revolutionary period, such as the Old State House, Old South Meeting House. I see those sites as where a set of fundamental questions took shape that the revolutionary generation was grappling with. How is my voice heard? Who speaks for me? What's my recourse if my voice is silenced or overlooked? Um, and when we think about our society today, when we think about the political struggles of our current moment, I think we recognize those are the same questions that we're grappling with, right? In every neighborhood here in Boston, in every city across the country, those are the questions that sit at the center of our politics. As we observe the July 4th holiday, we also look back on where we've come from these past 247 years and how far we have to go in order to stay united as a nation. I think that the country has come a long way and we've started to include a, lo a lot of different groups, which still needs work. We still need to have a lot of inclusion, whether you're a different color than somebody or you have a different religion or a different sexual orientation. We're all one people and we all just need to get along. And this is a time that we can, we can embrace that because that's what independence is about. It's about change and fighting for what's right. What I think about the 4th of July is the celebration of our nation, how we could come together as an American, as everybody. Because over the last years, we all know the current climate of this nation. We tore each other apart religiously, politically, and economically. So when I think about the 4th of July, I think about how can we come together as a nation, as a one people, to celebrate our nation's birthday. More than a day to enjoy ice cream music in the outdoors, the holiday commemorates the bold history of America and honors those who have stood up in its defense. The 4th of July is a time for celebration, but also a time to reflect on the citizens who have given their life in support and defense of the Constitution of the United States. To be the 77th commanding officer of the ship named for the document to which we take an oath to support and defend is a humbling and privileged uh, experience that I am honored to have every day. Harbor Fest spans five days through July 4th, reinvigorating our city with the spirit of America. Downtown Crossing was quite the scene heading into the 4th of July weekend as people prepared to take in everything the city had to offer for the nation's birthday. Every July 4th, Bostonians look forward to the fireworks and Boston Pops at the Hat Shell, along with spending the day with friends and family. This year, BNN took to the streets of Downtown Crossing to ask residents what the day means to them and a historical figure who embodies the spirit of the 4th. I find Abe Lincoln to be a very inspiring type figure because I, I, I think that occasionally ordinary people are called on to do extraordinary things and I, I maybe as a country we don't always live up to that but I, I feel like that's the promise of the country is that an ordinary person can do extraordinary things and I think he, he was the best of us. So. 
We also asked residents to define independence, a term which is often lost in the celebrations of the day itself. Independence Day on the 4th of July in Boston, Mass, means uh, freedom of the world. The right to self-determination, um, the right to have some say in the arc of, of, of our history, I guess, the way the government represents us. With Boston being the cradle for the American Revolution and the birthplace for modern democracy, we wanted to know who residents look to now to bring about change, like those patriots who fought for our nation's freedom. I think the new generation, uh, they have um, a positive energy and uh, they are willing to change uh, the things that um, are, not going, uh, are not going like well. Um, and also the, all the people, uh, American citizens, they believe in their countries. And when they are united, um, uh, in spite of their differences, uh, if they are united, they can uh, uh, move forward and uh, have those right to be rebuilt again. Um, so th the new generation can live in, uh, and feel the freedom and also independence. We also asked how to make this day more inclusive and representative of all people's experiences. Maybe spreading more awareness about it, like through education and after school programs. Like there's already enough talking about it, but there's not enough action around it. As we've seen in the Supreme Court decisions overturning Roe v. Wade, and most recently the removal of protections of LGBTQ Americans in Colorado, our vigilance is needed now more than ever to maintain the freedom that we have while remaining a just and free-thinking society. And despite our stumbles, progress is still possible. I only can say uh, God bless America, march it grow. Through errors and faults, uh, we are still the freest nation in the world. Splish, splash. The Boston Common Frog Pond is back for the summer, and residents of all ages hopped in the water to soak up the sun. With the keepers of the pond stoically watching over them, kids of all ages rollicked and splashed their way into a new season at Boston Common's beloved frog pond spray pool, a treasure for many reasons. I like the park a lot, especially the pond, because it has water and you can cool off after playing and running around. So it's a lot, so it's handy, and I like how there's a fountain in the middle. I like the water and the, the ability that you can run on the water. It's not too deep. It's, it's, it's shallow. I love the water here, so yeah, then I love to make friends with children so we can be like friends and we can play in the water. A year-round recreation facility for the whole family, the Frog Pond offers ice skating in the winter, a spray pool and supervised waddling for youth in the summer, and the carousel from spring through fall. But nothing beats a cool dip in the water in the rising heat. It was lovely to see the kids enjoying the water. We've certainly waited all winter to be able to do this, get our feet wet in the Frog Pond again. It's wonderful, it brings all the neighborhoods together, and we just really enjoy being a part of it. A summer staple since the 1970s, the Frog Pond Spray Pool has created countless memories for both parents and youth. And this season will be no different. 
As a mother, I'm just very grateful that my son and I have this space and we get to frequent here, watching the children connect and, and have fun with one another, their innocence, their purity. It's just a very, very beautiful space and we always enjoy coming here no matter what. In today's climate, um, we don't have the opportunity to see such joy. And it really brought a lot of value to me to know parents and grandparents alike, the importance of bringing children out to an event like this to show them that we don't need our electronics and we don't need to be on TV or our iPad to have fun and to interact with each other. And let's have more days like this this summer. Closing out June, the love ran deep. Deep dish, in fact, as residents flocked to City Hall Plaza to taste the best of Boston's pizza and celebrate the Italian delicacy. That's amore. The Boston Pizza Festival kicked off the weekend of June 24th as the smells of dough, sauce, and cheese brought out droves of hungry pizza lovers to City Hall Plaza to grab a slice. Pizza is the best thing ever. And uh, as someone that was born and raised in Italy, uh, you cannot live without pizza. I mean, uh, pizza makes you feel good. Pizza is simple, it's delicious, it, it, it's, it's healthy. And um, what, would world, what would the world be like without pizza? Well, I think bread has been the food that has been perfected for thousands of years by humankind, but we need a little bit of extra spice these days. And who doesn't love cheese? And if you combine the two, add a little bit of other stuff, put it in an oven, it just makes the most perfect thing ever. After several years of no festival due to the COVID pandemic, pizza makers busted out their ovens and baked their creations for pizza-starved patrons. It means a lot to be here at Boston Pizza Festival. I started making pizzas in my kitchen in my apartment about five, six years ago and uh, just have kept learning the craft. Um, it's clear people here have been waiting for pizza for a while. It's been a few years. This festival's been off, so uh, it's just the best food in the world. That's really it. Several pizza enthusiasts shared what they love most about the quick and easy meal and how pizza transcends food. It's greasy, it's cheesy. You can share a whole pie with all your friends after having a few too many beers on a Saturday night. It's cheap and it's just all about the community. I mean, everyone here is so much fun. We're getting pizza left and right and everyone's just such good vibes. I mean, pizza does nothing but bring positivity. It's so much fun. I absolutely love pizza. It's the first thing I think about at 2 a.m. Um, I don't want a burger, I don't want a steak, I want a pizza because I can eat a lot of it. And it's really hard to mess up pizza because it's so good and it comes in so many variations. Pizza's my number one go-to. Leaving with full bellies and greasy fingers, attendees can't wait to see what next year's pizza festival will serve up. Pizza pie! One of Dorchester's oldest neighborhoods got an upgrade last week after a local resident gave new life to a 100-year-old building. Last Monday, the Uplands Corner Comfort Station marked a new beginning in a historic neighborhood of Dorchester. Formerly used as a public restroom to serve passengers using a streetcar until 1977, a small building had been left abandoned for decades before historic Boston and Dorchester resident Bipla Rai had the idea to transform the space into a restaurant that represents the heart of Dorchester. Introducing Uplands Corner's Comfort Kitchen. This building, Comfort Station, is a historic landmark and it is just beautiful and very important for the city to preserve it. But besides that, we are also creating a space for the community to come and gather and gather around food. 
and celebrating contributions of all the immigrant communities that have lived and worked in Dorchester and just amplifying and celebrating the culture. This is a building that was derelict for many, many years and one that had meaning both historically and culturally to this community. And now it's brought back into the life of the community through restoration. We have uh, a place that is occupying it now that is a local enterprise run by local people and serving local food and locally produced um, items. It's a place that also marks the, the turnaround of Upham's Corner and a place that has great strength and is beginning to, to show a lot of that economic strength through new small businesses like the Upham's Corner Comfort Station. With the influx of new residents coming into the Boston area, the opening of the restaurant celebrates the rich cultures of Dorchester by bringing flavors of the African diaspora to Upham's Corner. In communities of color, uh, real estate values are, are increasing and generally the people reaping those rewards um, are not always from these neighborhoods. So this is an incredible opportunity uh, to reinvest in the neighborhood, to reclaim some value for um, some of the, uh, the original uh, inhabitants and, uh, and of this neighborhood and uh, to do so through food, through community, um, really is such a beautiful opportunity. Along with the new delicious flavors to come, Upham's Corner's Comfort Kitchen will employ local residents and create a new community space for all. And after decades of sitting vacant, it's amazing to see this not, not only now back providing rest and respite and comfort and community, but jobs in our community, the incredible cuisines of the African diaspora, which I've been now already been able to enjoy a couple different times for a couple of wonderful lunches and meals, um, and a commitment to lifting up Upham's Corner as a place where we want to center the voices of all those many, many cultures who, who uh, make up this city. Creating spaces to empower our communities and celebrate the many cultures of Boston is integral to the continued success of BIPOC-owned businesses. With the increase of gun violence in Boston and nationwide, firearm safety is a major concern for our communities. That's why Massachusetts State Legislature's Firearm Safety Listening Tour is going from county to county to have residents voice their opinions. On May 18th in Boston, Representative Michael S. Day scheduled a stop in Roxbury's Prince Hall Grand Lodge as part of a statewide firearm safety listening tour. I've said this uh, to those who've been here before, you'll hear this again. We are very, very fortunate to live here in Massachusetts. We've got the best education system, the best healthcare system, uh, the highest quality of life. We are uh, also privileged to live here because we've got the lowest rate of gun deaths in the continental United States. The system, however, as we all know, is far from perfect. The stop included a panel of three community leaders spanning law enforcement to youth advocacy, all there to discuss the issues at the heart of the gun violence epidemic and how communities and state organizations can work together to prevent youth gun violence. We are in crisis, but here's the thing, it's not new. So many of the children and young adults that we work with, my colleagues, um, they've already been in crisis. Black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted by community violence, and the increased access to guns makes it especially more concerning. I'll tell you right now, probably 
I would say 70% of the kids I've arrested, at least in 2022, were all juveniles. It is a problem, right? And when we confiscate or recover these firearms, some of them have switches. If you guys aren't familiar with what switches are, they're switches that they place on firearms that make them automatic, full auto machine guns. Meaning, as long as they press on that trigger, 20 bullets can come out approximately three seconds. With the rise of firearms use in Massachusetts and across the nation, the evening was a chance for residents to ask questions and share insights on how to curb violence and protect our city's youth. Um, two of my brothers got shot. I almost got shot in the back of the head, so I shouldn't be able to talk to nobody. We need better opportunities for our youth. There's so much funding in the city of Boston that goes into youth development. Not much of it is advertised. Not a lot of kids know that they can get a youth summer job. With collaboration between community members and state assistance programs, prevention of youth gun violence, and a future where firearm safety is of the utmost importance can exist side by side. Imagine being uprooted from your own home due to wrongful foreclosure because you trusted a mortgage loan from years past. This is the reality for many homeowners who've become victims of predatory lending, and they raised the alarm in government center. Keeping your home is harder now more than ever. According to the recent 2023 U.S. Foreclosure Market Report by real estate data analytics firm Adam, foreclosure filings across the nation have jumped 22% since last year. The reasons why are varied. However, a disturbing trend has shown predatory lending practices by small mortgage banks are a major contributor to the problem. On Tuesday, misled borrowers affected by these practices gathered at John Adams Courthouse in Pemberton Square to call out corrupt lenders and demand justice. The banks knew when they gave us the mortgage that it would be difficult for us to make the payments and probably impossible. They, they did not intend for us to pay off the mortgage. They did not want us to have the house. And it makes us feel like there is no justice in this country. The, the lawyers that foreclosed on the house did not even send me a notice ahead of time. Um, and <laughs> it, it was just awful. I mean, we went to the house on the day that they auctioned it off. And to lose your house in one day after you've paid for it for 11 years, it was, it was just awful. I was given a predatory loan that started at $3,200 monthly and escalated to $13,400 monthly. The housing court refused to even address this point. And from there on, they went on and foreclosed on my home with an entity that has no legal existence. They have not been asked to prove that they actually represent this non-existent uh, securitized trust. This is a remarkable exposure of what has been happening to so many people throughout the country. We're talking about over a million predatory loans in which our courts have refused to address all of the very, very obvious uh, violations of the law. Their stories are nothing new. In fact, the barring of underrepresented communities from property ownership through foreclosure dates back to 1865 and has since expanded across the country. 
unscrupulous lenders ever since emancipation have been using predatory loans to take the homes first of black men to make sure they never owned land after emancipation and then immigrant men and then when women finally fought to get credit in their own names uh, in the mid-1970s the same predatory practices were used to take their property leading up to the present where all of these populations and of course a fair number of working class white men have been netted in illegal predatory immoral and in fact, criminal lending practices. And that's what led to the historic number of foreclosures. And we are here to demand that the courts enforce equal protection to property for all of the people of Massachusetts. Protesters stress that now is the time to put an end to this discrimination and unlawful lending behaviors ignored for too long. Enough, it's enough. And we are hoping that community wake up to their registry of deeds to understand why they target black families because they're hard work. Why they target immigrant families. We are hard work and we don't understand much about the law, but we know about justice. It comes where no man can touch. To speak more on the topic, we invited Grace Ross from Massachusetts Alliance Against Predatory Lending to the studio to share the roots of the foreclosure crisis and what Massachusetts legislature is doing to protect homeowners. Here's the interview. Uh, first, I'd love to begin with the foreclosure crisis that we find ourselves in. What has led us to this moment? So this is the highest rate of foreclosures in the history of the United States. And um, the um, lending industry basically perfected how to make the most money uh, off of homeowners in the United States, and we're seeing the fallout. Um, it can only be done to really mint money in ways that are illegal. And I think that for those of us, you know, I grew up white and my image was there's a local bank and your father goes down and gets a mortgage. But for the vast majority of people, excuse me, in the United States, people of color and women heads of household, by the 1990s, those practices that have not been the visible ones, but have been predatory, have overpriced people's homes, have lied about their income and put them in positions where they had mortgages that were never going to be affordable. There was no plan for someone to pay for 30 years and own their home affordably. And that's been the story that's been the untold story, but it's been going on probably since emancipation and they just got really, really good at it. And of course, the number of people of color and women heads of household who were trying to get mortgages once we had the women's movement win equal credit and we had the civil rights movement outlaw um, the legalized redlining, the refusal to give mortgages at all. There was a flood of people trying to get a home and doing the thing that people in the U.S. have always done, invest the most amount of money in their home and have a home. And it led to a historic amount of wealth stripping. We're still seeing a historic level of foreclosures today. Hmm. And we had the opportunity to hear from a few members who are at Pemberton Square, such as Alton King, sharing their story. Can you give us a breakdown of how someone can get into a situation where they are the victim of predatory lending? 
Unfortunately, it's the norm. You go to a broker, you assume that broker has a license, you assume they know what they're doing, you've never done this before, you don't know what a mortgage looks like, lots of legal language, you don't know what it is. People would go and say, hey, I'm interested in that house at such and such an address. And the brokers were being incentivized to go, okay, well, if you're really interested in that house, here's who I think we're going to get the money to lend you from. Come back and, you know, we'll fill out your financial papers and then we'll get you a loan. Well, unbeknownst to them, a, 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 a appraiser would get called to drive up the value of the property illegally. And then they would come back and it wouldn't be the deal they had been promised and it wouldn't be the lender they had been promised. But now you've moved out of your house or you've changed your your job location or whatever you did because you thought you were moving into a permanent residence and people got stuck signing things or they didn't even know what they were signing because the, the lender would say, oh, you can use our lawyer, which is illegal because they represent the bank. And then people thought they were being protected and they weren't. And so we see these, these, you know, the the prejudice statement was people bought too much too much house. But what happened is they got swindled into too much loan for a house that wasn't even worth that much. And now they're trapped. They know they have a loan they can't afford, but they can't sell the place because they'd actually need to borrow money to pay off the mortgage to get out from under an illegally overpriced mortgage. And that's how it's been done for 150 years. And they just got really good at it and they snared a lot of people. And who exactly is being targeted with these uh, predatory loans? Well, coming into the 2000s, and these are still the generation of loans that led to the inflationary housing bubble, um, it was people of color. Uh, communities, uh, neighborhoods of color have always been targeted. And then, as I said, when women heads of household of all races entered the market in large numbers, they were targeted as well. Immigrants who didn't have English as a first language and thought they were signing something and they completely put their faith in the broker. Um, so it's been, unfortunately, pretty much everybody who's not a white male U.S.-born citizen with a fair amount of money. And of course, as has always been true, even with the, the um, you know, voting restriction laws, they've always netted some white working class folks as well. And for homeowners who find themselves in foreclosure, what rights do they have? Well, the thing is, we have historic rights going back a couple hundred years at least. But what we're seeing is that some people get those rights and some people don't. So if you come to the Mass Alliance Against Predatory Lending, we're going to teach you all the things that you've been told you were too stupid to understand. You're going to understand what was done that was illegally because it's transparent once you know how to look at the documents. And we're going to show you where you can insert yourself to fight every step of the way. And as we're fighting these days, we're beginning to get real wins. So there's real hope out there. But I also want to tell anybody who has faced a foreclosure, you have 20 years to get justice. And as we turn this fight as we are now, people are going to come back and you get full restitution because we're going to fight together to get there. Like every movement that has required hundreds of people working together, that's how we're going to win and it's how we are beginning to win now. And in regard to active bills that are available to protect Massachusetts uh, residents, can you tell us a little bit about Bill S-653 and what exactly it does? So Senate 653, we've been filing some version of for... Uh, Wow, almost 15 years now. 
It's an attempt to force the banks to the negotiation table for a mediation with a trained neutral mediator pre-auction. So most of the foreclosures in Massachusetts are not done through the court. Somebody shows up on your property with a clipboard and holds an auction. So you have no, no protections through the process unless you know how to get into the process um, until after the foreclosure. And I will say, if you face a foreclosure auction, do not leave your home. The most critical thing is stay and fight because most people are winning after the supposed foreclosure auction. But this bill would give people the opportunity uh, to, to the state would be forcing the bank to sit down and talk to you. And um, with a trained mediator who can, can show you the documents and you know what they've done wrong, you're in a very strong position with a neutral mediator to get justice. And that's why we've been fighting for this program. Great. And what resources does Massachusetts Against Predatory Lending are available for people who feel that they may have been um, preyed upon by predatory lenders? The critical thing is to be in touch because there's a lot to learn. And we have people, I have a brilliant woman who's been fighting, who had a fourth grade education and she's doing just fine in the courts. So we know how to help you learn your rights, how to help you understand what you need to do to fight and to at least hold your ground. Um, and in the long run, as we turn the tide, be, be still in your home, able to win. Um, and that's what we're teaching people how to do. So if you go to our website, there is a conversation every Sunday night. If you're pre-auction, there's a Zoom every Monday night. And if you're somebody who was previously foreclosed and wants to get back in the fight, we have a Zoom on Thursday nights. And the way is to get involved and learn your rights. And that's a collective interactive process. Thank you for tuning in, Boston. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon. Have a great evening.